I think it was Tuesday night. Melissa decided that our family would go together to the mall to go shopping. And with uh, eye rolls in full effect, one of my children, who will be remain nameless, said, I can't believe our whole family is going to the mall. This is so lame. Well, we got there, and everyone went there other ways. I don't know what the big deal was. As soon as we walked in the mall, Melissa went this way. Jude and Sophie went this way, and I was standing in the bay wondering what on earth I was doing here. I'd been given a list of responsibilities. Uh, it was narrowed down to actually just one thing. You know, in the van, on the way out, she's like, actually, just don't bother about that, and actually don't bother about that. So there's one thing I had to get, a gift card. And uh, so I thought, well, this is a great time for me to, to get uh, my Christmas shopping done. And so I went and did a bunch of Christmas shopping. It was actually in quite a good mood. And a couple hours later, we all met up again. And as we're walking out, Melissa said, so you got the gift card? <laughs> yeah, you know I didn't. <laughs> One thing, she said. Well, even if you have all of your shopping done, you still have to wait for Christmas. You might have all your shopping done. You might have all the decorations ready. You might have all your parties in the rearview mirror. But you still have to wait for Christmas to arrive. Now, true, this morning we got a preview courtesy of some adorable kids and some very talented junior youth, but our celebration is going to have to wait a few days longer. In the words of Robert Weber, Advent is a corporate spiritual journey that calls for expectant waiting and readiness for the coming of Christ. In these four weeks leading up to Christmas, we try to relive the ancient waiting game. And if anyone knows about waiting, it's a pregnant mother. This week I got an email from Brent and Amanda with some exciting photographs of their seven-month-old in utero. And you can see all this, in a sense, all this awesome detail, the nose and the lips and all the little toes and all the detail. And yet this is just like a foreshadow of what's coming in a couple of months' time, right? You catch a glimpse of what's to come, but not fully, not yet. And that's what Advent does with us. We catch a glimpse of what's coming, but we're not there quite yet. During the season of Advent, we've been listening to the opening words that each gospel writer uses to introduce us to the story of Jesus. Matthew's gospel began with a breathtaking genealogy, literally. Helen was having trouble breathing, saying all of those names. Reminding us of Jesus' ancient lineage and of just how long Israel had been longing for freedom, for peace, for redemption. Mark's gospel began with echoes of the prophetic promise that one day the crooked paths would be made straight, preparing the way for the long-awaited Messiah, and we were invited to do some preparation ourselves. And now this morning we find ourselves knee-deep in Luke, the good doctor, writing in his words an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now we've actually cheated a little, skipping over the first 25 verses of his book, where Luke tells an exciting story about an angelic visit that results in an unexpected pregnancy. But don't worry, he follows that up with another great story about another angelic visit that likewise results in an unexpected pregnancy. He thought the first one was good. He's like, I got a second one. This is going to be even better. You might say that our readings this morning are pregnant with expectation. Okay, so it all starts with a young Jewish girl who receives some very unexpected news from an equally unexpected visitor. Luke's details are sparse, but scholars suggest that Mary, like most Jewish girls of her day who were pledged to be married, was probably around 15 years old. And so, this being the first Christmas that I have a 15-year-old daughter myself, I find that I'm reading this story with a slightly higher blood pressure than in previous years. So, in the words of Clark W. Griswold, if any of you are looking for any last-minute gift ideas for me, I have one. This t-shirt. Sorry, boys. Daddy says I can't date until I'm 30. 
I would like to give it to my daughter for Christmas. Okay, cultural differences aside, I don't know how prepared Mary could have been for starting married life so soon, let alone parenting, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So let's start at the beginning. Luke 1, 28. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, if this was spoken by a relative or even by a close friend, Mary would have received these words at face value. This person is happy to see me. They've got some good news. They want to speak words of blessing. But they weren't spoken by a relative. They were spoken by an angel. Now, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, When I was looking for a picture of Mary and the angel online, it was really disappointing. Take a look at the, the wide variety of images. You know, Mary kneeling down, angel floating in with white wings, Mary kneeling down, angel floating in with white wings. We'll take a look at a few more. Mary kneeling down, angel... Like, I'm like, what? Like, she's reading a book. They didn't have books. Like, what's going on here? Anyways, all these images are the same, except for this one. I found this one, and here we have Mary not kneeling, reading a book, but she's like sweeping, And here the angel, I know it's really bright, but angels are really bright apparently. But this is like an older man with a beard and a turban, and he's showing up. And I'm like, well, at least someone thought about being a little creative with this. Of course, we don't know exactly what this visitor was like. But what happened when this greeting was given? Verse 29 and 30, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Oh, sigh of relief. He's not here for judgment or some other terrible thing. He's here because I have favor with God. But then only a quick sigh of relief because the angel continues. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, as, mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, this is actually the second angelic visit that Luke includes in his gospel. The first one is with a man named Zechariah who went into the temple to perform his priestly duty. And when he was in there, he hears this voice from God, and this, this voice speaks to him, and it's, angel, it's Gabriel appearing to him saying that your wife, in her old age, she's been barren her entire life. She is going to give birth to a child. And he blurts out, he's not sure about this. He asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife, well, she's along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. In other words, just shut up and listen. Second time around, Gabriel takes it easier. This time he comes, he says, you know, you're going to have this child. Mary asks a question. And maybe he takes it easier because Mary was only 15. Or maybe he takes it easier because he felt like his reaction to Zechariah was a little harsh, and maybe he felt guilty the last six months. This poor guy couldn't speak. He, like, took his speech away for six months. Or maybe he realized that it is a little harder to wrap your head around having a baby when you've never had sex. So whatever the reason was, Gabriel actually answers Mary. All right? She says, "Uh, how is this whole thing going to work? Well, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, no one ever expects the laws, angelic visitors, no one ever expects the laws of nature to be bent backwards in her womb, and maybe no one even expects that God will take a humble life and use it for great things. But it happened to Mary, and just maybe it will happen with us, too. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, She got this news, and the angel had told her that actually your cousin is well along in years. She's got something miraculous going on in her life. So Mary thought, you know what? I need someone who's going to get what just happened to me. So she takes off, and she goes running to meet her cousin. And in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, are you absolutely kidding me? No, that's not what it says. 
The story says that in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Now, that's an amazing first reaction. When your 15-year-old cousin shows up and says, Yeah, an angel told me I'm going to have a baby, and I'm not even married yet. I can't help but wonder if the reason that Elizabeth exclaimed this in a loud voice was that others would hear these words of blessing and orient themselves to Mary accordingly. I mean, if she had responded with question or doubt or disdain, other people would probably pick up on that. But because this respected woman in their community in a loud voice speaks words of blessing over Mary, maybe that rubbed off on the people around her. When the unexpected comes our way, do we have people of character to run to And do we have the character to set the tone when someone comes running to us? Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, writes that hope is a tenacious act of the imagination. It contradicts all known reality. It summons out beyond the known that is lost. It assures in the midst of free fall that the end will not prevail. It anticipates newness not yet in hand. Hope was somehow found by Elizabeth and is passed on to Mary. We can read the passage from Luke, and we can get all the way from the angelic visit to the birth within a couple of minutes. It's really quick. But for Mary, it was a full nine months. It took her nine months to get from the angelic visit to the birth that we celebrate at Christmas. Nine months of rumors, furrowed brows, and eye rolls. Nine months of back pain, and restless sleeps, and swollen feet. Like I said before, if anyone knows about waiting a pregnant mother. Sharon Verkler came up with this word that I love using around this time of year, anticipations. The combination of anticipation and patience. Finding the balance, she says, between the anticipation of God's blessing and the patience required to trust in his timing. It's beautiful. After her visit with Elizabeth, Mary recites a song for us. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And as with Matthew and Mark, so with Luke. The birth of Jesus is tied to God's promises made in generations past. Think of Gabriel's words. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will not end. Now think about this. We go back centuries and centuries to this promise that is given, um, that God says to the prophet Nathan, say these words to, to David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. We hear echoes of Isaiah's prophecy centuries after Nathan's. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, if nine months is a long time to wait, the nine centuries is a really long time to wait. But the end of Mary's waiting period brought about an end to Israel's waiting and longing. And T. Wright says, Jesus as Israel's Messiah is the place where and the means by which God's covenant purposes and Israel's covenant faithfulness meet, merge, and achieve their original object. If we go all the way back to the God's first promises in Genesis 12, that all of the world will be blessed. This is what happens at the birth of Jesus. But wait, we missed something along the way, a very important detail in this week's story. And this is no Walter Hobbes cutting out the part where a certain puppy and a certain pigeon escape the clutches of a certain evil witch. This is the crux of the action, the place where the story gets real for all of us. After Gabriel provides his explanation of how the whole virgin birth thing is going to work, he wraps up with a powerful line, for nothing is impossible with God. And we've talked about Zechariah's reaction when he heard the news. He questioned. He doubted how this could happen. We heard about Elizabeth's reaction, how she welcomed Mary's news. But what about Mary's reaction? Well, the Bible is filled with stories of people who said no to God, with people who said maybe to God, with people who said wait, or people who asked why. But how did Mary respond? Well, as far as I'm concerned, Mary's embrace of the angelic message is as profound a passage as anything we find in Scripture. And her words, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said, are among the most faithful words ever spoken by human lips. But even these words in this translation minimizes the significance of what she's saying. The Greek word doulos would actually be a little more accurately translated slave. I am the Lord's slave, bondservant. But this harsh and loaded word is used with the highest dignity in the New Testament, primarily referring to those who willingly choose to live as devoted followers of Jesus. We make ourselves slaves to a loving master. And this is the posture that Mary takes in this moment. Jordan Peterson, a professor at the University of Toronto, he writes about a client that he he was talking with in a clinical setting. And he talks about how uh, her life was, on the surface, really, like, successful. She'd achieved so much in her life, but her inner life, was just falling apart. She was just empty. She was struggling in so many different ways. And he comes to this conclusion. He says, she was a movie played out of focus, and she was desperately waiting for a story about herself to make it all make sense. Now, Mary's life wasn't kind of falling apart around her, but in a sense it was. She was part of this nation of Israel that was living under Roman occupation, under oppression, and they felt like slaves by these ro- at the hands of the Romans. So in a sense, her whole life was out of focus, waiting, the whole nation of them, for someone to arrive and make it all make sense. And so for Mary, Jesus, the baby she carried in her womb, was the one who both turned her life completely upside down and the one who helped it all make sense. And he continues to play the same role again and again. Jesus is the story that makes sense of our lives that brings our lives into focus. Yes, that maybe turns them upside down. That maybe puts us in the middle of controversy or conflict. 
that maybe causes us pain or heartache or requires us to make sacrifices, but that eventually brings our life into focus. And so Mary's yes is a challenge for each one of us. How often do we say yes to God? Now, perhaps the one problem I have with this story is that the grandiose task that Mary responds to dwarfs all of the relatively mundane ways that we are invited to participate in the work of God in the world. Well, I mean, if an angel showed up in my living room, you know, then I'd say yes. But every day we have opportunities to say yes to small things that don't seem like they matter a whole lot, but they do. In the words of the missionary Hudson Taylor, a little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. And that's what Mary's story invites us to, to say yes, to respond, to be faithful in the little things so that we're ready to be faithful in the big things. What becomes possible when we say yes to God? Well, I have one more thought I want to close with here before we head off into our time of discussion. I just want to acknowledge that if there is one thing that this week's reading requires, it's faith. We've got an angel. We've got a virgin birth. We've got prophecies fulfilled. Like, it takes a lot of faith to swallow all of this. And I was reading this quote from uh, Dorothy Fortenberry, who is the producer of the TV show The Handmaid's Tale, among others. And she was writing just really honestly about her own faith journey. And I love what she says, and I want to put this out there for us today. She says, sometimes I feel like I believe almost everything the church teaches. And sometimes I feel like I believe almost nothing. But if I'm anywhere from 1 to 99% on the belief scale, my response is the same. If it's more than zero, I should go to church. This morning's story, this whole story requires a lot of faith of us. And I just want to acknowledge that we are a community of 1 to 99s. And regardless of whether you are just, your faith is soaring this morning as a response to this story, or whether your faith is teetering on the edge in response to this story, it's good for you to be here as we're journeying together, continuing to listen to and respond to the story of God's arrival at Christmas. So may we learn to accept the unexpected when it comes our way. May we learn to look forward with anticipations to God's arrival on the scene of our lives. And may we learn to respond as Mary did. I am the Lord's servant. I'd invite you to stand. Lord, as a community of 1 to 99s, we stand here and face this story, and it challenges us. It challenges us to believe. It challenges us to say yes. It challenges us to live lives of faithfulness. And God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us wherever we are on that scale, that you would let us know that we're accepted at that place and that your longing is for us to know you more. And so, God, I pray that that would happen, that this Christmas season would not just be about crossing off things on the wish list and getting through all of the different gatherings and parties we've got going on, but it will be a time of responding to the message of Christmas, responding to this invitation. Will you join my story and be part of something incredible for the sake of the whole world. May we say yes. In Christ's name, amen.